0: Well, it makes me want to clap, Janet Lee. That's how I always feel when I hear you play because applause is absolutely something you have coming. And hello, everybody out there. Guess what time of year this is? Well, we're coming to the close of 2015. And it's been a marvelous year for Manifest Ministry. Lots of things have happened. And we haven't closed the last day out yet. And we're happy for you people who are listening to us and gaining spiritual levels. In the long term of things, it will be greatly to your advantage. So today, we are into the broadcast called Exodus Escape nine and this idea this term escape is being shown in these teachings how expansive that the concept of this escape is and in the sense of time how far back that it goes it's not just egypt it's before Egypt. It's not just this planet. It's before this planet. And so we are engaged in a universal concept of discovery. And as we begin to get into the 30, 60, fold insights and your mind begins to come into this enlightenment, then you will be changed. Changed from the creature that you were. There are so many beautiful things about the story about, you know, of God. We're dealing right now with a very atheistic kind of world. There are some chief scientists that are making claims that there is no God. And the things of the Bible are just mythology. And some worse, worse names than that have been given. What I find interesting though is the fairly recent teachings of the scientist Stephen Hawking who we have no intentions of taking away his brilliance as a scientist and some of his uh, brilliant conclusions. It's just that in the art of swallowing just because you find the taste of one or two things To be acceptable does not mean that you have to swallow everything that the preparer of those first two provisions made. So when Stephen Stephen Hawking says that the universe was made out of nothing and it was an instantaneous spontaneous happening the idea of course is with that kind of theory supposedly you don't need anything you don't need god and all the beliefs that have to do about god like heaven hell Salvation, being lost, being fallen. You don't have to embrace any of those ideas because (laughs) according to that theory, there is no God. But that idea and that theory and... If we want to, we probably probably should call it a hypot you know, a, hi- a hypothesis of Stephen Hawking. He is missing out on some absolutely major things, and this coming year, I intend to challenge him. Now, I will share to you just this little uh, bitty witty uh, tip ad or tibet, however you like to call it, because it fits into my teaching about Exodus, Escape 9. And that is this, that when they say that the universe is made out of of nothing, that, of course, is 100% contradiction to what they have said for generations of scientific research. And in fact, when the Christians were using Greek terms to show that God could make things out of nothing, there were scientists and atheists who mocked that idea. But I want to show the... the frivolous aspect of it. When you say something has been made out of nothing, you have one problem. And that problem is the information of organization. Because when we talk about something that has spontaneity, that spontaneity can be an explosion of just junk or just bits of all kinds of mixed up something of something. But if you're wanting to have the concept that there are interposed and created something that is of a nature that it can be moved into other sequences and evolve. There has to be organization. There has to be what the Bible describes as wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, and I'm just skipping over the points, but he wrote by the Spirit that before the earth, was created before the mountains were formed or before there was depths of water in seas before there was dry land and on and on and on about creation before there were stars it goes on to say there was something that existed prior to all of that and he calls that that thing that existed, that personification if we dare to say that, wisdom. And that is so absolutely biblically correct, truthfully correct, and scientifically correct, that you have to have wisdom. There has to be something involved in setting Whatever it is that you intend to bring forth, or that you would expect nature to bring forth. And if you want to call that wisdom, that's all right. But in the long round of things, when you call that wisdom, you really get back to what we call God. And If we were to say, okay, God is wisdom, and wisdom is God, and there's so many things incorporated into wisdom, you know. Love is big time in wisdom, true wisdom, and so that's just the point I want to make. That'll be a landing from which I will take off when I make this debate now in the broadcast announcement I start off by saying it has been said by a great scientist that physical motion time and space are not absolute and that is true But that does not mean there are not some absolute events that happen in physical motion, time and space. That is so important of what is absolute and what is not absolute, and what may be in between the absolutes. And there is so much to know about this and to understand about this Because it is the very information that has to do with the book of life. Now, when we talk about these things, like the wisdom, and we talk about physical motion, time and space, not being absolute, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a part. They have a part, even if they're not absolute. And nor does it mean, as I said, that there are not some absolute events that happen which incorporate physical motion, time, and space. Now, in Psalms 19:1 through 6, it, in a sense, talks about the wheel of life. It talks about this line that goes out throughout all the world. And it talks about the circuits. The circuits being like a cycle and being, being like, like circles of time. And many, many people are trapped in circles of time. And they have no absolute plan for getting out of that circle of time because they don't have the knowledge how to get out of it. For instance, the army that was supposed to be the army of God that went out in the Exodus with Moses and Joshua and Caleb was over 600,000 men. But in the end, their actions and their deeds totalist, to, were totally disrupting to the plans of God and opposite to the plans of God. They couldn't catch on to the idea that God wanted to go before these people. That God wanted... to to fight for them. Using his angels to defeat the enemy. Why we read the most awesome things in the Bible that it claims was done by God. In one scripture reference, it tells about when there was a battle going on and the the Israelites were not faring just that that well, that God caused stones, huge stones, to come down out of heaven into the specific area that their enemy was, and it killed them. And then we read of all of the other unusual kind of things, like even at the Red Sea, when the Egyptians felt that they had enough time to get across and roughly how they would be able to close in on the Israelites that were crossing over that wide span. You know, these people were very, they were very intelligent and they, were, they, they had uh, all kinds of uh, of knowledge of, of how to gauge and they could look and say okay at the rate that the people of Israel are moving at the gate they are moving and at the approximate distance where they are from the middle of the sea to the other side of the bank that is going to take so much time now with, with us moving on our chariots With our fast possibly Arabian horses we would be moving at X number of times faster than they are and we would be able to cover that 50% of the ground that they have already uh, passed and catch up with them and begin to mow down the rear end of these people and And if they are going to make it to the other side, then we should make it to the other side without a problem. And that was the wartime genius of of those kind of of soldiers. But the thing that they had not counted on was a thing called interference. Interference by the angels of God. And the Bible tells us that the angels of God began to do things to the wheels of the chariots. So that as the chariots got into that that dry river basin, the angels messed with them and some of the wheels began to coming off. Others of the wheels began to to toddle so that they could not align the direction that they were uh, whipping the horses to carry them. And that threw off all of their technical planning and made it so that the children of Israel were able to get to the other side, all the way to the other side, and they were not able to catch up with them. They were into the into the basin, but they were not able to catch up with them, much less to get to the other side before the waters came and overwhelmed them. And that was because of the stories, some of them which are told in the Bible, and a lot which are not told in the Bible, called the Lost Wars, the Lost Book of Wars. When we, when we begin to look at some of these interesting things we begin to see that if you don't know how to put in all the facts if you haven't got all the figures then you can't figure the equation you've got to have the spirit of wisdom to be able to have the knowledge so that you know what the equation is and you've got to also be able to to gauge whether there's any kind of interference factors now I think in the Christian world there are interference factors that a lot of people don't gauge about which has to do with the forces of darkness which it says in the book of Ephesians that The war is not against flesh and blood, but the real war is a war for the minds, and it's a war between the darkness of spirit and the brightness of spirit, the light. And so I think that there are millions of people that haven't figured it out, haven't figured out why There are interferences, things that they think, things that they do, habits that they keep, constructions that they make, decisions that they are determined to carry forth. And how that the forces dark can get involved with that and then use that to undermine anything that has what is called hope so there's a story told about this little small city it was not a a big city but they had some powerful soldiers i call it ai and The fellows who were over uh, some of the army um, suggested to Joshua, let's, let's not send our whole force out to defeat these people. They, they just have a small army. And uh, with our tactician abilities and our uh, strength and knowledge, just we'll just take a few thousand Uh, soldiers and and we'll just wipe them out no time flat. Now that was probably not an in-air decision as far as it being calculated on normal blessings of God as had been happening when they had gone out to war. But what they did not count on, and had not really sought from God, is if there was any interference force. Well, they went out there, and within no time flat, they were just shamed, because the soldiers of Ai just whipped them big time until they were just running with only their hind ends facing those pursuing soldiers. And when they got back, all Israel was just ashamed. They said, that word is going to spread all over the rest of the people on this side of Jordan. And Joshua said, oh, my God, my God, Lord, why did you allow this? We would be better off to have never crossed the Jordan. We'd be better off to stayed on the other side of Jordan and just made our homeland over there. Why, Why? Why did this have to happen? And God more or less said, are you asking me, Joshua? And Joshua said, well, yes. He said, well, you've got some people in your army that did the accursed thing. They took of cursed items from one of the defeats that I allowed you to have and have hidden that on the soil of where you are camped. And as long as that blasphemous thing is here on the soil, supposed to be called holy ground, you are going to have more defeats. And Joshua said, well, what shall I do? And God said, you better go to the Urim and the Thummim and find out who's got this. So first tribe by tribe, and then it was, it was Judah. Then they went family by family, and then they went person by person, and they found out who it was. And Joshua asked that person, said, now is this something that you've done and you want to admit to it now and explain it? He said, yes, I'm really sorry. But when we had made that last victory before coming here, I saw some jewelry and some things in the heap and some gold and some other kinds of things. And he said, I, I took them and I hid them and they're buried in my tent. In the ground where my tent is. Well, they had to take that family and punish them. I don't want to go into the details of it. But there could be no victory until they got that out of the way. They had to get that out of the way. That was an interference. It was interfering with them. They couldn't win victory. They couldn't take advantage of the of the of the Book of Life plan of God. Of God going before them. They couldn't be satisfied, you know, with things like God said, "Now, I'm going to I'm going to chase this whole." Group of people out, these fierce fighters, I'm going to chase them out and I'm going to use hornets. And that was tough stuff to swallow by these 600 and some odd thousand men who wanted to go out there and prove their capabilities at war and because they hadn't been involved in some victories. But that's how God was doing things using hornets and stones falling down from the sky. Well, we have to understand that as far as motion, time, and space, they are not absolute. And the only way you can ever make them absolute is to make them absolute as an event that has guardianship. There's a guardianship of truth. There's a guardianship of revelation of that truth, for the actions of that truth, involving the spiritual side of that truth, and the spiritual guardians and protectors of that truth. And if you know you've got that in place, now you're ready to go out. So after that, they went out and they won a great victory. And God told them how to pl- how to plan, a- and in a- ambush. Well, the circle, the circle of life. These men, these six hundred thousand men, the army of God that was representing the families of and the fathers of. Representing by the fathers, the families of Israel, they displeased God because they couldn't keep the law and the divine method in place. And so finally, God said to him, Moses, step aside, and I will raise up out of your loins a whole family. Now I would tell you that God was not talking about the two sons that he already had. The language of that is quite clear that that was not the case. He was talking about that there would be another plan and he would raise up a whole line of little Moseses sons of Moses, daughters of Moses. But Moses couldn't see it. And he couldn't accept it. Mostly because it would embarrass him with the Pharaoh and the armies he left behind and the other people that were on this side of Jordan. And he just couldn't handle it, he said. So that left these 600,000 men in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness, not being able to cross over to the other side until they all would die. And a year, you know, we round, we round it off. It, the number of years changes a little bit depending on whether, you know, it's one Nation or another nation how they count it back in those days But basically we rounded off it is a circle of time it's a circle of time and So you got these People over 600,000 of them all trapped in these circles of time for 40 Years in the wilderness, and they can't get out And therefore, they cannot cross. They cannot cross the Jordan. Now, it is so absolutely important. I write in my broadcast announcement. This telling of Exodus Escape 9 is as though the moment had come to open a passage into time. To open a passage into time. Yes. That is exactly correct. It is the moment for these divine passages in time to open up. And for people to be able to understand the word of god in the spiritual sense now there are some extremely interesting things and it's important to understand it let's take for instance and we're going to be big time talking about joseph in this narrative because Joseph is the one who was set up to be killed and die by his own brothers, but not all of the brothers felt that righteous or good about it, and so there was a provision made for him instead to be sold, and he was sold to the Midianites, and they took him to Egypt, and most of you should know the story, and he began to work for this uh, Egyptian who had some influence in the land of, of Egypt. And it's important to understand that Joseph is a kind of Christ. There, there's a sort of a, a parallel there, a kind of Christ. And we're going to see. Some of that as we get into this teaching, and we're going to see that that Jacob, you know, he he was a strange kind of guy. He uh, he's a powerfully accepted person in God's counting. God understood how he was based on the the lattice of his mind, the lattice of his spirit, the lattice of his genetics, and it allowed him to do some extreme things. But he also made up for it in some ways, like when he wrestled with the angel of his presence and would not give up or give in. But some of the things that that Jacob did were questionable. What is interesting is when he was very old and everybody knew, including Jacob, that he was dying and his son now, who was the second in command to the Pharaoh, came and brought his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he brought them over to Joseph and said, I want you to give them your blessing. And of course, involved in that, there was a patri- patriarch thing of the firstborn blessing. The firstborn Blessing would be put on the child who was the firstborn. And that was Ephraim. But when Jacob reached up, he reached up and he got hold of Manasseh and pulled Manasseh over to the place on the right side to bless him, the firstborn blessing. And the Bible says that Joseph was was very unhappy about that. He, He didn't like it at all. So he corrected his father, and he said, Father, not Manasseh. Manasseh is not the firstborn. My son Ephraim is the firstborn. And Jacob spoke up. Now, whether he did or he didn't, I don't know. He was a strange guy. And he says, I know, my son, I know. Now, whether he just made a mistake and he didn't want to say he made a mistake, but he says Ephraim is the one I have to put that firstborn blessing on because he he is he's going to be more outstanding than his brother Manasseh well there are stories about what eventually happened to to this son, Ephraim. The Bible says that he will return to Egypt. The Bible says that his chariots will cease to be. There are all kinds of prophecies that are very negative about what would eventually happen to him. In Hosea 9 verse 3, they shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. Now we're going to talk about, if we have time, Assyria a little later. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from birth and from the womb and from conception. Hosea nine eleven. Verse 12. Though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them that there not be a man left. Yea, woe also unto them. Hear this now. Hear this. Woe also unto them when I depart from them. Verse 15. All their wickedness is in Gelgal, for there I hated them, for the wickedness of their doings. I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their, their princes are revolters. Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet I will slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. Verse 17, they shall be wanderers among the nations. Now here's my point that I want to make here in my closing for this uh, little bit of time break. Um, When you go to the book of Revelations and you read in Revelations, to check out the end story. What culminates? What happens in the end? Like Revelation 7, 6, it says, as it lists all the different tribes that make it into the kingdom. And you look for Ephraim. You look, you search, but Ephraim is not there. It's like the prophecies of Hosea. And yet Jacob said this is the strong guy. Well he been strong in some things. But in the end you find Manasseh. Manasseh is one of the tribes that still remains and makes it in at the end time and it's counted in. Manasseh. So the firstborn blessing that was moved from Manasseh to Ephraim at the end of time. We don't know how many generations in the book of life that is. But in the end of time, it came around in the great circle of life. And Manasseh got it back and closed the book with that. Janet at the organ. Thank you again, Janet Lee, and more applause. (laughs) Can't forget that. Thank you for the Spirit. Bless God. Okay, back to this word. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 5, it is written, and I have talked about this and taught on this from time to time. But it is so relevant and so especially connected to the point that I'm making here today. And here's what it says. And now, saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel Be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, Is it a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth, or the end of the earth. Well, this is talking about the light that would shine in darkness, and the darkness would comprehend it not. This is talking about something that happens in both spiritual worlds. how that the spirit of a person can be shared with other people. Like how the experience of Moses is shown that the work that he had on him was too much for him to do, and that besides that, there was a plan for God to share that spirit that God had put on him, but which was identified in the lattice of the person that he was, so that there was that occasion in which that spirit was moved from him to 70 of the elders. And as soon as that experience happened, some of them began to prophesy and and just be tremendously affected by the differentiation of what they had before and what they suddenly had when that spirit of Moses was put upon them. And we say spirit of Moses being the idea that incorporated in that was the attributes of God. Now, here we have something Being said, and now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. This is something about Jesus Christ that in my lifetime I never heard taught by anybody else. I never heard it taught that Jesus Christ came and one of his main ministries. was to manifest in such a way that there was formed from the womb to be his servant within his lattice, within his genetics, within his very being, the proposition, the calling to bring Jacob again to him for the purpose specifically that by the strength of God to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved of Israel. Now, this is talking about something coming upon a man who is born of a virgin and so this whole thing about how that the virgin is seated and how that this progeny going all the way back to adam comes forward and moves through the through the book of life which is called the book of the generations of Adam, and moves all of the way through there and pauses at Jacob, and Jacob incorporating all of those sons that represented the fathers of the 12 tribes, and moving forward with that through that conduit of time and space and motion, and coming forth in this Christ, so that Jesus says, the words that I speak are life, they are life, and he talks about how important it is. That man cannot live by bread alone, but must live by every word that comes from God. In that incredible revelation, we are seeing a prophecy in another place of Isaiah, when he says, in that day, in that day, there will be some who will say, I am Jacob, or I am of this person, or I am of that person. It smacks in some similarity to when they ask John the Baptist, If he was Elijah and he said no I am not of course he was referring to the physical body the physical man and what he said was right but then when they asked Jesus when the disciples asked Jesus he said yes John is the Elijah that was to come he was referring to the spirit and that's what we're talking about in these episodes what happened to Moses, how the spirit moved on the 70 elders. How this thing of the spirit in Christ is coming forth to bring the Jacob, the Jacob spirit again. And the offspring of the Jacob spirit of the, of, of the 12 sons which represents Israel again. Because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And now that name is imbued in his sons which represent manifold israel now in that sense the revelation deepens and the glory abounds because we have to understand there are there are other things like in my announcement, I write, in a countervail wisp of time and dimension happenings, the yada in a whin of time was caught up in the glory of a Shekinah mind. Now, when I say yada, I'm talking about the manifestor yada. Caught up in the glory of a Shekinah mind and met a dignitary, who not only told him this awesome story, but also commissioned him to manifest this story to the world. And then I give several scriptures that you'll just have to take the time to look up. But interesting, some of them come in Psalm 68 chapter. And that is a very important chapter because it it reveals things that no other chapter in the book of, of the Bible reveals. In the same way. And then it goes on and it reads The goings of the Lord God shall be heard in the rushings of the holy winds. And he gives some more scriptures to look up. And then it further says Then this word was lit up. Princes shall come out of Egypt, Ethiopia, the Nubians. N U B I A N S, Nubians. Now listen, shall soon, and I put in my interpretation of the word soon, that they will come to a, a place of the quickenings. And that's what that soon means. Stretch out their hands, hands. Fingers on a hand. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Hand of God ministry. Stretch out their hands. And minister past and future to be made known. Now, if you wrote down the scripture that I had in here, sometime it got reversed, it's Psalm 68, 31 instead of 68, 13. And you can also read with that Isaiah 19 through 25 now what do we have here we have the history of a people of a people who claim that they are one of the lost tribes of Israel and they live on the african continent which is the same continent that egypt is a part of and they have had lots of contact with with egypt they've had trade major trade and they've had wars major wars sometimes The the Nubians, the Ethiopians have won. Other times, the Egyptians have won. When the Nubians have won, they became pharaohs of Egypt different times. So there are actually records of them becoming pharaohs. When they lost, then they became subject as a people to the Egyptians. But the Egyptians and these kind of other nations were not the only major forces out there. There was this other awesome force, and there's much written about it. I won't have the time to read all the scriptures. We can't just do this in one teaching. But called Assyria. Now this is not talking about the Syrians or the Syria of of Palestine, which is by Damascus. That is a different group of Syria or Syrians. This is Assyrians. And they lived between the Red Sea and... The Persian Gulf, and they were one of the most powerful nations. Uh, they were very much connected with with the Bab- Babylonians, and they they were warriors. And there are things written about them going to Lebanon and cutting down the the, the cedar trees, and. Making these these weapons called banks. In other places, they're called mounds. But they were tremendously craft, tremendously uh, intelligent, crafted uh, machines that could just break down city walls, uh, throw uh, destructive type of of, uh, of of weapons. Uh, weapon uh, output into the or behind the city walls of their enemies they were they were they were they were awesome what they could do was awesome and they were one of the world forces now there is a scripture that says and prophesies about a future time and This prophecy of a a future time is is in the book of Isaiah, and it says that there will be a day when Israel and Egypt and Assyria will all be in a confederacy. Now, this is a futuristic time. It's not happened yet. And that Egypt will be the first power, Assyria will be the second power, and Israel will be the third power, world power. This is Bible. We can't finish it today, but we'll get back on it, Lord willing, next week with a whole bunch of other things. Now, what we've got here are some powerful nations that have seemingly been obliterated, but that the Bible says, no, they're coming back. Because remember, this is how the law of the spirit world works. Once you get into the spirit world's leverage, the wave leverage, the up point and the down point, the peak and the trough. Then there is a relationship that belongs together. So if one force is able to operate a trough or a peak, it opens it up for the other force to be able to open a trough or a peak in that same way. Now, Lucifer's been waiting to Uh, use his credits that he has coming. Credits that were used by the angels of God that fought wars for the Israelites and defeated massive armies that normally should have never been beaten. In one case, by a famous military uh, leader who led Assyria, in the time that Hezekiah uh, was alive and Isaiah was alive and had just had a run of defeating just one nation after the other and then came and prophesied that he was going to destroy Israel and carry them away. And God spoke to Isaiah and said, no, it's not going to happen. And God sent angels and killed over a hundred and five thousand of the of the of the soldiers of the Assyrians, besides that they heard a rumor, and they had to go back to their land to see what was going on and When they did go back, and this head chief man who was a great warrior went back, his three sons were in were were in a conspiracy and they killed him, they assassinated their own father. So there's been some incredible angelic wars that has destroyed people that were such advanced armies, such advanced techniques, such advanced knowledge that there's no way that they could have ever lost a war based on a rational comparative basis Between them and Israel if it was just Israel's forces and their force. But when the divine force got involved, then they lost. But when that was opened up and that divine force was able to do those things, then it opened up the gateway for the other force to do their things. And Lucifer has been waiting because he's got credit coming. And the Bible talks about it in the book of Revelation, how that these These locust creations are going to be made. And an army of 200 million strong that are going to go forth and just basically take over not only this earth, but other planets that will be existing at the time. And it's the way it works in the spirit world. Well, you've got things that are going to open up again with the Nubians. They've gone through some defeats. They're a lost tribe. They're going to be restored. And it says right in the Bible, it said they are, they, they are princes. And they're going to experience a quickening. They're going to get into a ministry. And they're going to have a future. They're going to come back. They're going to have a future. And we've got the coming back of Jacob and the coming back of the tribes. Ephesians, doesn't, Ephesians the, the, the one group doesn't make it, but the other group does. And Ephesians tells the story of the battle between the forces dark and the forces of light. As we begin to look at this and we begin to see these things, in those lights the realization becomes more and more magnified we want to say okay well who who was this pharaoh that was pharaoh at the time that that joseph came into egypt and who appointed him to be second in command well he was only he was not even a teenager at the time that that Joseph revealed these dreams and got out of was going to get out of prison he was 30 years old but this young pharaoh was less not even a teenager at the time and so the bible says There was three different titles that was given to Joseph, mentioned in Genesis 45, 8. Number one title, number one, the most important title. A father to Pharaoh. He was a father to Pharaoh. Now, I know that some some. Persons, theologians, and what have you, have just tried to make that sort of a father's effect. But it was deeper than that. He was really like a father. This was just a young kid. And, and, And this spirit of intelligence came on to Joseph. And there are... In the Egyptian language, there exist names that describe what's called the Sea of Jacob that exist or did exist in a major way in Egypt. And there are still canals and rivers that bear the name, but most people can't find it because when they look in the Bible, they don't know the name to look at. Because they're like... There are dozens and dozens of different names that that sometimes one person will have. And these names are, are spelled differently. They don't look alike, but they have different meanings. And then there are things, you know, like when we're talking about the sun god. And the sun god is spelled R E. Or spelt R-A, and they both mean the same thing, sun god. And then the word R-A is within the spelling of the word Ramses, which also ties in to the meaning of the sun god. And when you begin to get the revelation of that, and you begin to see the story of it, You begin to realize is that sometimes when it talks about the land of Ramses, it's quite different than what people really think it is. So it's very, very important to understand uh, what what we are, are talking about. So when I talk about the sea of Joseph, I may have said Jacob, but I mean Joseph. The Sea of Joseph, I'm talking about those are things that literally existed, and, and I have Bible for this, but I don't have time to go over it today. But this is the beauty of the Akava. The Akava teaches that forensically in the Bible, there are all kinds of stories. And sometimes you'll just find a name. Like Biblos. And that is a story, that, 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 that has uh, many, many different stories to it. And I'm talking like a building, story, stories of a building, but also different stories to talk about. And when we start being able to expand these terms that are in the Bible and show all the connection, we will be manifoldly multiplying the revelations of the bible that are there but are just in a state of classification that is reserved in a compiled compressed revelation and we have to open that up and let it spring out like when they went out and they dug in the well in the wilderness desert and god showed them with the rod where to dig, and they found the well, and they began to sing, spring up, O well. Well, that's what we're, we're gonna be doing in this Manifest Revelation. We're gonna be singing, spring up, oh well, because there are springs all through the entire Bible. Sometimes just a word here and a word there, but that word conveys sometimes other planets, conveys certain stars, if it conveys uh, personifications, because it's not just one thing. Sometimes a word will mean a dwelling place. Sometimes it will mean a person. Sometimes it will represent a group of people. And contextuality is how you tell what the meaning of that w- word is, or if it has more than one meaning, it will reveal that in the context. And so we need to get into this because the spring lock door is wanting to be opened. And we need to understand how that the Spirit of God is a wondrous revelation about everything that is real. Like when the Bible says that the the body without the spirit is dead, and we can, as we have taken it in the past, and say the universe without the spirit is also dead. But then we have to also understand that, that without the spirit, the word is dead. You can't understand it. You can't comprehend it. You can't grasp it. It doesn't get quickened in you. So you have to be able to come into it in such a way That is by the Spirit that you understand it, because so far the Bible says that Jesus was made flesh. We have to eat and drink His blood, and we have to understand what that means. That that means we have we we have to in Christ live His life that He lived in Christ and through Christ and accept that, and then we as a multitude all pass in the ministry through Jesus Christ because in Isaiah, as I read to you, it goes, takes it back all the way to the womb and it talks about being formed in in Christ and bringing back Jacob and bringing back the tribes and obviously bringing back the people of God, both the physical Israel and spiritual Israel. And as we Make those strides and we begin to come into those titles, like even the titles held by Joseph, a father to Pharaoh, two, the Lord of all his house, of all Pharaoh's house. Not the Lord God, but the Lord meaning master, the master. And three, the ruler throughout all Egypt. Now people get all messed up with these terms of of all. Because, you know, the Egyptian language came out of hieroglyphics. And it didn't have things for a long, long time like a definite article. It's very difficult to specifically pinpoint something without understanding the way of the Egyptian language, as to what it was really portraying. Much of it was picturesque, picture, uh, picturesque. Uh, it was pictorial, uh, however you want to better explain it. So these things are very real and very, very powerful, if we can just just grasp it. Now. Even, you know, when you, you look at at, at at Joseph's name, if you look at it in the Arabic, um, you know, it doesn't even look like it would be Joseph. It's spelled B-A-H-R-I-O-U-S-E-F. And then in some of the other related s- symmetric Uh, 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 languages it's spelled Y-O-S-E-P Joseph instead of the German J Joseph so it's easy to look and see a word in the Bible and not even come close to recognizing it and it's easy to not understand that sometimes when these people are talking about Re and Ray and Ramses, which represents the sun, that there are all kinds of scriptures about the sun uh, that gives a lot of credit to just this sun that is a physical sun as representing God. So when these people worship this symbol, which they haven't got it quite right, but, you know, that's the journey. That's the journey. That's evolving. That's emerging. It takes time, but at least, you know, Akhenaten, I mean, he, he he decided there weren't gods. He decided there was just one God. But I wouldn't want to use him as an example of a person to follow uh, because, you know, uh, almost all his wives were were his own children that he married. There's been, some people say, they believe that Akhenaten was Moses, and, 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 and that's just stupidity. That's just total ignorance to come up with an answer like that. But, you know, these men were what they were, and, and, and in those days, they believed those kind of things. And they were, they, they were, in that, they were on one side of the street in, in a great darkness, and on the other side of the street, they were coming into a light. But we have to read carefully through the viewer of what has happened in the history, and see how that when it talks about the sun, and there's one glory of the sun, and and then it talks about in Revelations 12:1 a woman was clothed with the sun, and uh, and then it talks in Revelations 19:17 uh, about the angel standing in the sun. And a real good scripture on that uh, about the sun in Isaiah 41:25. So, if they were reading those scriptures, those people that were worshiping the sun, they would think these scriptures were going right along with it. And and there are interesting things like, for instance, uh, the Philistines. They when we say the Philistines, we're not just talking about the Philistines that were the, the, the Philistines that lived in the time of David and that were the bad guys that uh, just hated the Israelites. Uh, there was a time that the Philistines, you know, were a group of people that were quite different than that. And there are uh, legends that Shem, uh, who lived 500 years roughly after the flood, that he went to egypt and and that that he, he was there with a group of people that that the bible tells about for instance uh it called them um it called them uh uh you know captorians captorians uh c-a-p-h-t-o-r-i-m-s out of 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 uh of Kapstor. C-A-S-H-T-O-R found in Deuteronomy 2.23 also mentioned in Amos 9.7 and when you track this down this ends up being the neighborhood of the Great Pyramid and so going way, way, way back in time these people that were called this which ended up being uh, Philistines Semitic type of people these people they end up uh being right there at the time in the area where the where where the, 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 the great pyramid is to be built and isn't it interesting that that then connects those people with with joseph and the time that joseph was there and does that mean then does that mean then that um for instance that this wife that he married belonged to some of those kind of people, well, I certainly think it does, and i if I had the time, I would like to go into the genetic trail to show that when when Joseph married the daughter of this priest, although although we're not familiar as Christians with the description of that priest' belief, we have to understand that they were describing it from an idiom of their language. But it's very possible, because that God accepted and allowed Joseph to marry these women and then to have children that were accepted into the tribe, that these people did have some of that blood in them. And there's a whole story there that is that is that is rooted and grounded in the word of the Bible. And we want to get into that. The angel standing in the sun. We want to get into these revelations and understand what the Assyrian Pantheon was. And and some of the meanings that 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 come out of that. And we would like to get into the revelation and carry it further as we read it in Isaiah about uh about Jesus Christ. And how that in uh, in uh, Philippians 2:7 uh there is a a a word that is introduced and um uh, this word is, is of a nature of holding uh, a great revelation. And uh, this, this revelation uh, is called kenosis. K-E-N-O-S-I-S. Kenosis, that's a Greek word. And what that means is that Jesus, when he came to this earth to take an earthly body, he emptied himself and made himself of no reputation of who he really was from before in the fullest sense of his angelicness and Paul in corinthians eight nine second corinthians eight nine says though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor and in john seventeen five it says The glory he he had with the Father before the world basically was set aside so that this awesome kenosis, this emptying of himself, made him so he could be a vessel to bring back Jacob. And to bring back the tribes of Israel. And in that sense, he was acting out a Joseph Christ type. In that sense, he was fulfilling Isaiah 49, 5 to bring back Jacob again to him. And to bring back his sons, the tribes. And to do all these kind of things, the book of the wars would have written and explained the effect of time turned back. Like with Isaiah. When God turned back, the sun ten degrees. Like for Joshua, when God caused the sun and the moon to stand still so that there would be light to win their victory. Well, do I think that the sun literally stood still and the moon literally stood still? was no longer revolving in the connection with the revolving of the earth around it? Of course not. This would have destroyed the earth. And probably the sun too. But what happened was that the effect of time was turned back. Both in Isaiah 38, 6-8 with the sundial. And with Joshua and the son standing still in Joshua 10, 13. And so we have this kenosis of Jesus. Displacement. Because in order to be able to do these things through the blood of the physical body, he had to empty out his assets which were so great, they filled every nth of him. And he had to make room, of, had to have this, empty, this emptiness there so that he could show how that he overcame in the mortal body and how that these leadings and miracles of God could be done And there's all of this interest and all of these stories. Even many of the things that we've been sharing with you and have not had a chance to finish that we want to finish. And we'll just keep at it till we do. Next teaching will be 10. And we'll try to to cover a lot of these things. I'd like to talk, and I'm going to bring this to a closer in just a jiffy, about this priest whose daughter Joseph married, called the priest of On, and tell you about what that word On means and what that describes, and how that there was a, an actually a village, a city, Only 20 miles from Memphis, the capital, there in lower Egypt. And how that that name represented the city of the sun. And finally, people talk about the children of Israel all going and living in Goshen. Sorry. But anyone that knows anything about the geography of Egypt knows that there is not enough land for the 600,000 men that came out of that place to have been able to, to live. Not to mention mathematically compounding that with the children and the wives to over 2 million people. And so that... The land of Ramses and the land of Goshen are two different names that represented the same thing, but represented an enfoldment of the one into the other, and the other being of a much greater extent. And without understanding that, you can't get it right. Well, I've run out of time. Janet Lee at the organ. God bless you. We love you. Happy New Year, everyone.